I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. This is, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today, kids... Children in Sport, the sequel. Let me tell you a secret when it comes to the development of children in sport. And this is right up front, probably the most important thing I'm going to say. The biggest improvements and performance gains are nearly always going to emerge from overcoming, navigating adversity and challenge. The big improvements are seldom going to come or emerge from doing all that we can to clear a path for the kids, set them up in the most positive environment that should allow natural talent to emerge. Take stock a minute, parents. Next time you seek that one-to-one specialist, personal training for your little child prodigy, or when you pull your six-year-old from the local team and put them into some elite squad that promises fame and fortune, you might have the very best intentions, but ironically, you might be hurting their long-term both love and chance for personal development. Today, we're going to explore three components of development of kids in sport. First, performance anxiety, especially for the very youngest kids venturing into the big bad world of sport. Second, specialization. We tell a story about a mini Ronaldo, the seven-year-old soccer star. Should he be driven towards specialization to ensure success? And finally, the journey. Child development, supporting your teen athletes through common challenges associated quite often with things like puberty. These, my opinions as a coach, but also a father who, just like you, in all honesty, is kind of just trying to work it out. A show, you might think, just for the parents. But before those without the children tune out, realise this, as adults, we are ultimately just big children, with hopefully just a little bit more wisdom. All of the lessons today we discuss are absolutely corollary to adult athletes. And so I encourage you to keep listening. Now, before we dig in, let's do that little squatty update and an update from the group. And this week, we're going to talk about fitness. That's the word. How we are actually not chasing it right now in the Purple Patch Squad. In the last week's show, I've babbled on about postseason, our most critical phase of preparation for athletes. And right now, by time of recording, we are deeply immersed in just that postseason. Folks, we are in it now. Technical development, layering resilience to prep the hard work that's coming on. But with the squad in postseason, several have asked how our athletes globally keep their minds fresh and clear while at the same time they're training. So many people just love to turn their backs completely. And so how do we, the Purple Patch athletes, hold in the reins of ambition and make sure that we don't get too fit too quick? The answer? Well, it's pretty simple. Right now, we don't make fitness the objective. 
That's right. These months right now at Purple Patch, for those that are in postseason, we're not actually chasing fitness gains. That's not a barometer of our success. We don't seek to measure fitness gains. We're not in the quest of that classic fitter, stronger, faster. We're driven to improve technique, but most importantly, to prepare the body for the quest upcoming. And that's a little bit like taking the shackles off in many ways, because the mission isn't about doing more. It's about doing things, well, better. And doing that now makes it fun. It releases expectations. It allows a lot more freedom. It allows us to not be driven by metrics. You see, yes, fitness is critical for performance, but it's just not critical to be chasing that right now. And so that's our squatty update. Fitness, we're not really after it right now, but we are in the most critical phase of the year. It sounds paradoxical, doesn't it? Well, if you want to find out more, get involved, get on the train. That train is leaving the station. Your 2020 performance is, I promise you, departing right now, but it ain't too late. You can still get on the journey. Go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash squad or reach out. We'll tell you all about it. But now, let's get choo-choo-choo rolling with the magic jingle. It's over to you, Barry. We like the way he thinks, serious with a wink. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, and the word or the words of the week this week, Game Changer. Oh, many of you know what I'm going to go into here, don't you? Lots of questions over the last few weeks about that Netflix documentary, Game Changers. A documentary promoting the virtues, or even I might add the performance necessity, that word underlined and bold, necessity of adopting a plant-based diet. In fact, the message that arises out of the movie isn't really that it's possible to find great performance up to an elite level on a plant-based diet. Instead, it's really that without a plant-based diet, you really are missing out on potential. It's a highly produced show with compelling effects and stories, supporting with wonderful examples and, well, in parentheses, research and case studies to persuade us on the virtues of becoming vegan. My thoughts? Many of you are, so I thought I'd give my two cents. It could be wrapped up in a single word evangelism. Look, let's admit, I think we all know, there are real issues with the standard Western diet. Collectively, we, the population, tends to eat too much sugar, don't get enough vegetables and fruit, and are completely reliant on way too many processed foods. Massively amplifying your diet with loads of fruits and vegetables is a good thing for everyone everyone. But please, please, please stop making this about some pass-fail journey in which there's some magic bullet or magic diet that is going to solve everyone's issues. There is nothing, nothing wrong with being a vegan. And I believe and know and have seen that you can perform really, really well with this approach. There's lots of benefits to it. It does take more thought, more planning, and more real engagement with your food choices. It does take work. So yeah, Game Changes is compelling. But you know what it reeks of? 
pseudoscience, simple storytelling, promoting packaged and poor research, or pushing a highly partisan description of a theory only does one thing in my mind, and that is add to the already blinding blizzard of bullshit out there. I have nothing, nothing against veganism. And I also think that if that path helps you eat really clean with more vegetables and you feel better doing it, absolutely go for it. But please don't fall for another addition to the pseudoscience package that fills our space. Now, if interested, we're going to add a couple of critiques and rebuttals of the show in the actual show notes of this episode. But for now, go and watch it. Enjoy the show. Just make sure you keep the same critical mind that you should when watching anything. And whatever the outcome, eat your veggies. It's great. And that's why the word of the week this week is game changer. And now, speaking of veggies, I need something to do it. Let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, for the meat and potatoes today, we are going to dive into three very key concepts for, I believe, our children in sport. And these are three that go across ages, but we're going to focus primarily in a developmental sequence. The first, performance anxiety, one that so many children have to navigate. The second, specialization, the virtues of driving your child or opening the gates towards a singular focus or quest in sport. And finally, we're going to talk about athlete development, being a partner with your youth or teen child as they navigate the perils of performance mixed with puberty. So as we go in today, we're just going to break it up very simply. This is a whole world of performance. We could have a whole podcast series around the child athlete, and there are some wonderful tools and resources out there. But today, let's keep it simple. What I want to do is keep it in a box. And so three things, three sections. Number one, performance anxiety. Number two, specialization. Number three, the journey. All part of setting up your child for not just their best performance, but their long-term love of being active and also giving them the best opportunity to utilize the lessons that sport provides. And it provides a wonderful suite of lessons and utilize those lessons and apply them to all other areas of their life. This is about becoming a high performance human being. And these are three key areas that you need to talk about. And so with that backbone, Let's dive in. Section one, performance anxiety. So how should you address this extremely common feeling amongst younger kids, especially those that are beginning to explore sports at a really young age? Now, as we think about this, I think it's important for you, the parental listener, to realize something. This is normal. And also, especially amongst younger children, because they exhibit performance anxiety does not mean whatsoever that it needs to be a lifetime of performance anxiety. And so if your kid does express signs and symptoms of great nerves or anxiety before competing or participating in sports, it's an opportunity 
It's not a burden. It's a genuine opportunity. And in fact, I would say it's an opportunity for both child and parent so that they can develop the tools to both navigate anxiety and overcome very normal sensations or worry. We cannot cower from working through. And so here are a few important pieces of the puzzle. First, realize something about performance anxiety in children. And that's that a framework of consistency in many other areas of life tend to be really, really helpful and important. See, I've seen so many athletes in which performance anxiety tends to amplify across all ages, all the way up to adult, when other areas of life are more chaotic and random. And children, much like pets, do really well in structures and frameworks. And so a lack of schedule is a lack of consistency. And humans tend to thrive with this magical word grounding and a place of comfort and predictability. So for an adult, this is expressed when you have athletes that are living out of a suitcase or on the road the whole time. It's just simply not as grounding as routine and a firm home base. For a child, it might be just as simple as consistent times of going to bed, making sure that meal times are as consistent as possible. And I would add, if possible, as a family, if you can do it. In other words, structure, whether a toddler or a teenager, some routine, a little bit of grounding and a chance for tools to equip to deliver the bravery to navigate any adversity and ultimately performance anxiety. And so a lot of this challenge really frequently begins with a word, parenting. Drive your child towards consistency, allow some structure and set it up. When they get up in the morning, don't let them run to the TV, get them active, get them thinking, get them engaged. As they go through the day, structure, mealtimes, as much as possible, making sure they're consistently going to bed right around the same time. It creates the routine and the framework of which they have stability. Two feet on the ground, mindset. And then when adversity comes, they are much better equipped versus the chaos that exemplifies some people's lifestyle. The second component about this is we cannot avoid the anxiety. It must be worked with. Whether we're talking about feelings and sensations, such as a stomachache or growling shivers, whatever it might be, or it might be exposed or exhibited through actions and words, like actively aiming to avoid situations. Turning your back or avoiding those sensations and actions are only going to amplify in the future. This doesn't mean that we just force our children through tough situations. This is not Victorian Britain where you turn and face them towards their challenge, kick them up the behind and say, it will be good for the lad. It's not like that. But we must work with our children to navigate through. And so the first component of that as a parent is to recognize the anxiety with your child. So that word empathy becomes important. Recognize it. Speak about it. I remember reading a wonderful piece by a cognitive behavioral psychologist, a woman called Dr. Bridget Walker, and she called these feelings fear mounting. 
In other words, something to navigate, to get over the top to the other side. And the parent's role in this fear mounting was to align their child and take the temperature of how strong or how large that fear mountain was from low to high. And this mountain created a great visual for the child, but also awareness of it becoming a project to tackle and overcome. So it created order and structure and something tangible. The next steps were, of course, exposure, exposure to some part of the challenge or a lighter version of it. And then each time navigating through extending the challenge. And I can have a very real and personal example of that. Let's talk about my son, Baxter. He would say on the early days, very different now where he's addicted to the darn game, I don't want to go to soccer. It's terrible to simply say in this situation, well, he doesn't like it. And, you know, having a horrible experience, I don't want to do that. So you don't have to go to soccer, dear. Instead, we must navigate through. We're committed to soccer. We must follow it through. And so we don't want to have a horrible experience for Baxter. At the same time, we must navigate that fear. And so how do you go about it? The first, talk to Baxter. What are you feeling? Acknowledge the sensations. Make it normal. Correlate his feelings to some of the feelings that you've had. Yes, a little bit of vulnerability is okay. Then draw the picture. Make it something that he can tackle. Okay, you don't want to go to soccer. You're fearful. That's normal. I understand. So we're going to go. But rather than going and you just forcing and having to play the whole game, Baxter, instead, you can go and we'll watch. Now, you're part of a team. And so let's get the kit on. Let's get the cleats on. Let's get the pads. Let's wear your blues. And let's go. And you can sit on the side and you can watch. Be there. Sit, watch, and guess what? When you put that into action, sometimes the child will go there, sit, watch, and leave. Exposure number one. But a second time, they might be there, sit, watch, and the ball might roll to them. And they might kick the ball back. Then they might decide to join in. And then they might even want to play. But the key is they have to be there, small exposure. And then what you're looking to do is incrementally build resilience while helping them navigate. So you are parenting as a partner side by side and helping them navigate and ultimately build one of the magic words of performance, resilience. You're checking on fear mounting. You ask the thermometer each time. And after doing this once, don't assume any progression. After doing it twice, don't assume any progression. And you continue on the journey looking to chip away until, with this experience, it becomes normal. And they can navigate and fear mountain is forgotten about. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't happen again in different situations. But now they have a positive experience. Now... When they've gone through that experience, you can go back. Do you remember how strong you were? Do you remember how hard you worked? Now we have a different challenge. Let's go and focus and navigate through this again. 
The third component of performance anxiety is commitments. You must follow through. Because as we talked about, building on exposures develops resilience. And as resilience develops, you become stronger. And so if I signed Baxter up for soccer for the season, and that was 10 games, guess what? We finish the season. Then the child can choose. You didn't like it. You didn't love the season. Let's move on to the next exposure. Let's dip our foot into whatever it might be, be it guitar playing, be it lacrosse, be it swim team, whatever it happens or whatever you choose. But don't quit in the middle. Team, follow through, finish what you started. Pretty good life skills, don't you think? But that doesn't mean, remember, that it has to be eight weeks of misery. The question is, how can we make it fun and how can we keep the exposure with their performance anxiety to a level that they're able to handle each week and feel successful? Because resilience develops out of positive situations, not just survival. It's better to thrive in many steps than it is to survive grand exposures. And so what we're looking for over eight weeks is eight mini victories, each time overcoming a little bit of adversity, sometimes failing, but never quitting. And so this doesn't become eight weeks of survival. Oh, and guess what? When we're talking about this, let's come back. I'm talking about kids here, yeah? But realise... I'm talking about you as well, because you, as an adult performance-driven athlete or enthusiast, should also embrace a little fear and some discomfort and use this type of tool and approach just for you. And so, in summary, performance anxiety. Number one, realise it's opportunity and you can't back away. Number two, it's critical that anxiety is not to be avoided but we must incrementally build positive situations. And number three, in whatever block or focus or project that you're talking about, be it a season of soccer for your six-year-old or whatever the quest might be, we finish the project. Commitment, we follow through. So with that, section two, specialization. And it provides an opportunity for me to tell you a story. I love stories, don't you? A couple of weekends ago, I was on the sideline of Baxter's soccer team and an interesting storyline emerged as we watched them. Now, we need to dive into this in the framework of looking to support your child in sport. I'm going to tell you a story about the soccer assassin. You see, as the seven-year-olds chased around the soccer field with, well, quite frankly, very little positional awareness or highly developed skill, one of the children from the opposing team stood head and shoulders above the others. Stood head and shoulders, no less, in height, but also in ability. He had great speed, high technical ability, an amazingly strong kick that was always typically placed expertly into one of the top corners of our team's goal. I have to say it was incredible to watch. One of the parents from our team stood next to me and knowing that I happened to coach a little bit, asked me an innocent question. You can imagine the answer. He asked me if I felt that this kid the one that we were watching, head and shoulders in proud physical prowess and in talent, 
was going to be the quote kid that was going to get the scholarship or if I felt like this was the type of kid that was going to go on and play professionally. Well, guess what? In every park across the whole country, there are hundreds, no, 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 hundreds and hundreds, no, thousands of kids just like this one. Some of them are going to go on to retain the love of the sport and might even emerge to playing a highly successful level of soccer. Most of them won't. Now, as a parent, wanting the best for our children, it's really challenging to know how best to support your child, especially, especially if they're displaying those real signs of natural skills and talent. And for most of us, quite naturally, we care. We want our kids to thrive and excel. Our instinct, and it's positive instinct, is to really help pave the way, to try and set up the optimal environment to excel. Well, in this case, what would that be? You've got this seven-year-old. Well, one of the things that we could do is seek one-to-one coaching and support. We could transition the child to some performance team. We could drop other sports for the specialization in the one that really displays promise. A collection of decisions that drive life towards revolving 100% around your child's sport. All schedule, conversations, focus, an invisible cloak of expectation and emphasis that starts to build and through the intention of the well-meaning parent of removing roadblocks and setting up for success is more than likely going to absolutely dissolve the potential of that young child enjoying sports into their late teens or continuing on to that supposed holy grail of college soccer or even professional soccer. Now, I should say here, there are situations that a child will thrive in travel teams and even venturing into more serious competitive environments. But we have to realize it's a process to get there. And we must always keep in mind the context of the broader picture in doing so. And so let's assume for the sake of this show that success for this little magical seven-year-old, little Ronaldo, success, we say, is playing soccer in college. Let's even use success as saying this little seven-year-old is going to go on and get a 100% all-college-covered sports scholarship at the same time. Let's use that just for the sake of the show. Let's use that as our barometer of success. So what is the most likely setup for this hyper-talented seven-year-old? So here's the hit list for you. Number one, and this is the headline news, and here is your answer. Don't specialize. At seven, don't specialize. Expose little mini Ronaldo to as many sports and situations as possible. Some of them team situations, some of them individual, lots of cross-plane movements from side to side, not just the things that he's good at. 
The multidisciplinary approach can only help athlete development, can also extend a broad range of lessons in skill acquisition, navigating adversity, and physical and emotional resilience. I encourage you not to emphasize one over the other. Just embrace trying new things. A broad range, an absolute call to not specialize at a very young age. On top of that, as a parent, it is our role and responsibility to encourage effort and not outcomes. And so I'd really avoid rewarding results such as goals scored or something like that. Instead, utilize and listen to your language and lean more into effort. Wow, you were really trying hard out there. Great stuff. You really stuck with it when you found that skateboarding trick really tough. And so be careful of your language and focus all of your pride and support and enthusiasm around effort and overcoming more than, well, you scored four goals. That's great. We won. It's only going to make it outcome focused and even more pressure on the child. Thirdly, please don't be that oppressive parent. Honestly, you don't even have to go to every game. Or at least if you do go to every game or every practice, you don't have to obsessively watch. You see, while time with your kids, really quality time, is absolutely critical, obsession on the sideline is not helpful. And so if you are there and you do want to watch, great chat to the other parents, enjoy it. But remember, the question isn't, did you win? The first question should always be, was it fun? And finally, embrace adversity. Embrace adversity. We're not looking to pave the way for where we show talent. We're looking to expose, as we talked about with performance anxiety, little overcoming successes. I'll give you another personal story in this. I'll make it sound like I have all the answers. I promise you I don't. But Baxter, he loved swimming. I grew up swimming. My parents were swim teachers. We have swimming running through our veins. We are aquatic. But he simply has always loved water. So we opened the doors. We let him. And he went through a series of group lessons. He graduated lessons. But now we find ourselves at this place, seven years old, and very, very wary of putting him on a swim team. He's seven years of age. A swim team? That just doesn't taste good. That sounds like it's the journey towards that hyper-competitive swim kid. We don't want that. So what's our solution? Well, we want to avoid the ritzy and focused racing teams. So instead, what he does, he heads off to the Boys and Girls Club of San Francisco. This is a challenge. He is the youngest in this highly ethnically diverse and highly challenging environment. For him personally, not from a swimming performance standpoint, the result is challenged. He finds it challenging. But every time he gets out of the pool, he has real pride. He navigated. 
He doesn't even make the whole session. There are four sessions a week. How many times do you want to go? One. All right. We commit to one. And then we just use thumb signals. I sit on the side, hanging out, watching the kids. He gives me a thumbs up. All is good. Thumb to the middle. I'm good, but I'm a little stressed. Thumb down. I'm not comfortable. And boom, you're out. If you're not comfortable, you're out. We're not seeking results, but we want to ensure that he conquers something. Oh, and I guess there is a donut that does follow quite frequently. There's a donut shop next door. What can I do as a parent? But remember, everything in moderation, including excess. And so to sum that up, exposure, not specialization. Embrace adversity because challenge is great, but obsession is to be avoided. And please ensure as the parent doing what is so natural, what we want to do for our friends and particularly what we want to do for our kids, remove roadblocks. Because if your child intrinsically loves what they're doing, I promise you they are going to find their way there, not through you, almost in spite of you. So expose, 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 and the cream will rise to the top. And the final component today, we move more into teenage athletes. And I want to talk about the journey a little bit. Now, as we go into this final piece, some headline news for you. Youths, teenagers, are way more equipped to appreciate long-term journey of development than we as parents or coaches ever give them credit for. And guess what? They are thirsty for it and they need it. And all it is called is a little bit of perspective. They enjoy and thrive in structure and perspective. So let me give you a case study here. But for this, I'm going to and I want to give you fair warning, I'm going to retreat to some of the darkest corners of my memory. Many, many moons ago, as a 12-year-old swimmer, I finished fourth at the national championships in swimming. Fourth, what a future I had. My club environment, low stress and social, I swam three times a week, maybe four times a week at most. At the other end of the spectrum of professional coaching, I promise you. But my parents were swim teachers, so I guess there was that sort of magical Ronaldo type equivalent. But after that, that 12-year-old breaking through fourth at the national championship, the next two years of my swimming life were a struggle because I stayed physically the same. But nearly everyone around me began to grow. Height, power, strength, and therefore, speed. Physically, I was left behind. And therefore, I was left behind in the lane. And at that time, the answers and the guidance that I remember, and I think it's worth remembering that in England, we don't talk about emotions too much. And at that time, kids were certainly more on the follow commands rather than provide any opinions. But the answers and guidance that I got around this, don't worry, son, you'll catch up. Your time will come. Or try harder, train hard. Jiminy, 
I was trying pretty hard already. But the truth was, in this situation, and it was clear, I was pubeless and directionless. And while I was smart enough to see the physical difference, we all had to shout with each other, I didn't have any perspective or the normal journey. I didn't appreciate or wasn't equipped to join the dots on the impact. I was a tweener living in the moment, and yes, normal, but I wasn't provided any vision, any perspective. And I see this happening frequently, and I've experienced it through my coaching. The most classic, the high school freshman female runner, or the high school freshman female swimmer, who happens to lay down some terrific performances and times before her body goes through the completely normal, and I would add very highly individual transition that can take multiple years. And so if we're stuck with the barometer of thriving in sport only being competition and metrics, this becomes an incredibly tough phase of the journey for that poor female athlete. And it's already tough and now it's going to be amplified in toughness. And ultimately, the vast majority of these athletes are going to quit if the whole time they have been trained with their existence in sport only being about outcome. And so it is exactly at that time that perspective and awareness must be coached. This athlete, the young female athlete navigating through, needs real support and guidance. They need to see a journey and pathway. They require education and they need stories, real truthful stories that are powerful, that they can attach to, that they can align with, that can help light their way. At this phase, comparison of their current peers will kill. This is a personal journey. Navigating puberty is something that is so highly individual, intense in times of when it comes and how long it lasts. And so through this journey, you come back to the source of the why of the sport and look to aim to focus on doing different things, shifting goals if needed. And before you shout to me on the other side of that microphone as you listen, listen, sport is tough. It's a results-driven business. It comes back to my very first point. The likely success of an athlete getting through this terrifically challenging phase of sporting life while balancing puberty is mostly dependent on a few things. Number one, how sport has been as a part of life up to this point. And so what is the perspective and the focus that have been driven throughout their early years of promise? The perspective of sport up to this point, when, yeah, they got fast, when they didn't have much weight to carry, and they still had that little big engine of theirs, how was that managed? Was it driven around effort, or was it driven around outcome? If it's the latter, the chances are the athlete's going to fail. The second component or predictor is the environment that the athlete is in during this part of the journey and the support that they're getting. This is where parental support and coaching support becomes so critical. We've heard so much about it lately and the caustic and corrosive effect of negativity and some terrible, whether deliberate or not, coaching advice that so many athletes get. And the third component 
is if the athlete has other areas of sport and life that they're able to lean into that can provide positivity. You see, they might get slower in this part of their life, but if there's capacity to shift focus, if the athlete is multifaceted and not over-specialized or over-emphasized now, you have a much greater opportunity to stick with it, navigate it, maybe not get the outcome that you're questing for for right now, but with a little vision, a little roadmap, and a little patience, their best running is always physically ahead of them. It's just if they have the support and the perspective to get through that part of it. And so guys, in summary, here's the truth. How you set your kids up at six and seven years of age, it's going to impact how equipped they are to navigate challenges in their teens and, I might add, into their adult life. Secondly, our kids are smarter than we often give them credit. They are equipped and able to see long term, even if it feels like they're living day to day with little perspective and they forget to make their bed even though you reminded them yesterday. And thirdly, as a little reminder, the fastest freshman ever, that's seldom your next Olympian. And so, take it easy, Buster. It is a long, long ride. And as I said in part one of the kids episode, it has to come from within. This isn't your journey. This is your child's journey. Let them take it because they're equipped to navigate the whole way if, and you can't decide this for them, if they want to. And so troops, three components, performance anxiety, the perils of early specialization and navigating the journey. I hope you found it useful. From here, we're going to build on this show. In the coming weeks, we're going to explore athlete development. And we have a rich history of athlete development of Purple Patch. And it starts right with our Purple Patch professional Ironman triathletes. Names that you might be familiar with. Jesse Thomas, Sarah Piampiano, Laura Siddle, Tim Reed, Meredith Kessler, and many more. Stories of multi-year development to success. But it goes well beyond. What about the coaching and development of young amateurs with high lofty aspirations? Or the new adult athlete seeking to make a journey towards their first marathon or Ironman? Or the development of a mid-40s female looking to drive improvement all the way through menopause? And many many more stories. And so stay tuned and watch for the upcoming journey of the key subject of athlete development. Of course, you're not going to want to miss out, but you don't have to. Simply subscribe through Apple Podcasts or your favorite place to find and listen to your shows. And I cannot tell you how appreciative we are for a really positive review and a little thumbs up of the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the show more easily and it helps us evangelize in the positive sense of the word. So get out your fountain pen and begin scribbling positivity. We really appreciate it. Until next time, take care. <laughs>